Hey folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer She-Ra podcast. I'm Force Captain Map, they, them. And I am Princess Jenny, she, her. And today we are here to discuss the season one finale. It's finale time! Woo! Ow! The Battle of Bright Moon is season one, episode 13, the season finale. It is written by Andy Stevenson. Storyboard by Diane Ha, Jasmine Goggins, Angela Kim, Sharon Sun, and Sam Semensky. Directed by Stephanie Stein. A quick note. Um, so Noelle in socials now is going by the name N-D. N-D. Uh, so from here on out, we will be using N-D to refer to Noelle. Um, unless otherwise noted. Yep. Hey, Math. Hey, Jenny. It's the season finale. Are you excited? I'm fucking wicked excited. I'm wicked excited too, kid. Yeah, kid. It's fucking. It's fucking crazy over here. It's fucking we've crazy. Been doing we've been this for so long. We've. It's been like close to a year. It's been a year since we started. It's been a year since we started, and we've Hot had damn. So, we've had so many journeys through gay shit. Oh my gosh, it's just been one beautiful gay journey of gayness. Yeah, I to, think... To increasingly gay places. Like Catra in a suit. Yes. Who could forget Catra in a suit? And Catra in a suit. I mean... Yeah. And Catra in a suit. Another good point. Yeah. Another good point. But here we don't so much have Catra in a suit, but we do have some really, really extremely gay shit going on so in this episode. So much gay shit. This episode is the gay agenda, by the way. It's certainly a good starting point for the gay agenda. It's an excellent starting point for the gay agenda. I don't agenda. think it's the whole gay agenda. It's like baby gay agenda. It's like the baby. It's got a lot Which of gay, though. Which is an important starting point. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like the, it's like the, um, it's like the gay day planner. Yeah, you know, it's just like setting the frame of what our expectations are going to be as a baseline. I do love it. It is, yes, you know, yes. It's a it's gay like, baseline. It's like, this is, we're going to be at least this gay. Yes. Forevermore. For here on out. This is the minimum. You must be this gay to understand. To ride. <laughs> to ride. You must be this gay to ride this ride. Yes. <laughs> um, I was going to say, before we get into this episode, I would love to tell you something very funny from the 1985 Shira episode, The Battle for Bright Moon. Oh, dip! Let's do it! So I did not actually watch the whole ep because it was clear just from like the little summation that they're totally different and unrelated. But there was one very funny quote. I read a whole bunch of quotes that were not that funny, but there's one very funny quote from this episode of the original Shira. Let's hear so it. So the premise of this episode is that Skeletor and Hordak together kidnap Adora. And mm -hmm. so there's a line in this episode where Skeletor says to Hordak, a female He-Man? This is the worst day of my life. Fucking Skeletor. Yeah, like, <laughs> I can just see the two of them, man. <laughs> That's ha, my Skeletor ha, impression. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really hilarious. A female He-Man? More like a male She-Ra. Am I right? Yep. I'm yep. right. I'm right. Isn't it nice to not be tethered to male counterparts to have basic validity as a show? <laughs> I You can just stop that sentence at, isn't it nice to be not tethered to male counterparts? Amen. Yes, I listeners. I don't know why I even went any further. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Oh, 
Oh, let's we're 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 setting yes. the baseline gay role gay here today. We are. And there's one other funny thing that it's just like a blink and you miss it thing that we'll start off with and then we can actually get into talking about this episode. Let's do so it. So at the at the end of the last episode, mm-hmm. Glimmer, Bo and Adora are riding Swiftwind in the sky. Yep. And of course, the beginning of this episode, it is still the case. Yep. We're picking up right where we left off. Bo, Glimmer, Adora riding Swiftwind in the sky. But they're sitting in a different order on Swiftwind's back. Oh, <laughs> continuity. Yep. At the end of the last episode, it was Adora, Glimmer, Bo. And now it's Glimmer, Bo, Adora. So like Adora just like levitated up from the front and plopped down in the back. And also, they all rotated forward one. Why would she be sitting in the back considering it's her horse? Why would right. she? Unless well, she was just like, why... fuck this. Well, it's you could make the argument that the rider is sheltering the small people in front of him or her oh, or them. But you yeah. could also make an argument that the person who is steering should be in front. But if your mount is, you know, totally sentient and on the same page with you about where you're going... It probably doesn't matter who's sitting in the front anyway. That's true. I think, yeah, exactly. With the sacred bond, you could be, like, sitting anywhere. As long as, yes. I guess, you're, like, yes. riding the horse. The sentient yes. communist horse. But they probably didn't do that on any of that on purpose anyway. It's just a tiny little funny thing that I would not have noticed on my own, but I read it on a fandom wiki, and then I looked back and confirmed that it was, in fact, the case. Yeah, thanks, internet. You guys are awesome. All right, you want to start off? Yes. Let's do it. So we open on this episode, as we just mentioned, riding on Swiftwind's back, trying to get back to Bright Moon through this stormy, stormy sky. And basically, Adora says, whatever's happening, the horde is causing it. And Glimmer says, we have to get back to Bright Moon to make sure everyone's okay. And like, that's it. (laughs) And that's it. And actually, that does set up the whole episode. But that was a little Glimmer moment I want to make note of, and we're going to come back to it later. I want to discuss Glimmer during this episode and so the fact that she glitched right before she said what she needed to do which is get back to Brightmoon to make sure everyone's okay i think that it was definitely correct that stress makes her glitch oh. and so the stress is of thinking about everyone back at Brightmoon who might not be okay and might need the three of them to come back and protect them Ooh, that ooh, that's I love the main it. thing she's thinking about. Ooh, I love it. I love it. I love so it. So we have that, and then we have some credits. We have some credits, 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 credits. We're going to win in the end, or are we? We, we do. Are. We, we do. We <laughs> win in the end. Then we go back to the horde. Yes, and my notation of where we are is Fright Zone, Outdoor View of Apocalypse. <laughs> I also have that. I just have an all uppercase bold italic the apocalypse (laughs) so we have you know tidal waves firestorms earthquakes cats and dogs living together (laughs) you know lions and tigers and bears lions and tigers and bears all of that fucked up shit Mm -hmm. is the first time catra has a hand in the apocalypse but not the last bless that chaos gay amen All right, so we open on the Fright Zone in this outdoor apocalypse view, and we see, before anything else, Catra perched cat-like on a railing, Mm. and she's just appreciating the brewing apocalypse. Bless. She is being gay and doing all sorts of crimes. She's having her first chance at experiencing what she at least expects is her happiness. 
Yeah. Let alone whether or not this is really making her happy is a longer discussion for later in the series. But at the moment, she's like, this is what I've been working for. Now it's happening. I rule. Ha ha. Fuck yeah. 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 She has, she finally has control over not only her destiny, but the destiny of literally the entire planet at this point. Um, And nothing feels better from, from being completely powerless to being full of megalomaniacal evil villain superpower so yes so they say so they say so they say at villain academy the villain academy yes where these scholars are (laughs) well apparently boston college is part of the evil school community because they made a joke about it on harley quinn oh i mean yeah have you ever been to bc no but i do know that it is a catholic school and in this day in 2021 you can still be expelled for being caught actively gaying. That is true. We probably shouldn't get into it too deep because we have a lot more to talk about. Yeah, but yeah, it's definitely part of the Illuminati, so. Yes, definitely if there was an evil college consortium, be Boston College would be part of it. Yep. Maybe Katra has uh, aspirations. Anyway, so while that's happening, Scorpia is telling Katra and us that basically the entire planet is going down in flames, tidal waves, firestorms, earthquakes, oh my. And she's somewhat ambivalent about whether or not that's a good thing for Mm -hmm. them. Because, you know, yes, that means we're winning, but also we are on the planet, and if it dies, we will also die. Right. And Cash is like, "Ah, okay. (laughs) And we have, you know, we have, then we have Entrapta doing an exposition dump. Oh my god, she also is so happy she can't even, she's jumping out of her skin Yeah, happy. because her experiment works. You know, she's spinning around in a chair while the chair is whizzing across the room, while she's talking at maximum speed, basically just to herself because, you know, nobody else understands what she's yeah. talking about. Yeah, she's having pure geek joy right now. Yes, pure geek joy. Which is excellent. And she does the exposition dump of like, yes. sciencey, sciencey, science. I know what I'm talking about. Sciencey, science. And then we have Katra doing the, you know, stopping, give it to me yeah. straight kind of translate you know, translate yeah so like speak yeah. speak english you know or like that sort of like it's a trope you know it's and we yes, actually saw it in course. the last episode as well we have the tech babble tech babble tech babble translate here's what it is right do i have to explain math to you yeah yes we know this trope for sure yeah we love this and we love this trope between the two of them too it's a great it's a great kind of banter that they have together it is a good banter for them specifically the two of them yeah but so basically entrapta explains that by making the black garden more powerful they've sapped power from the other princesses rune stones which upsets the planetary balance Mm -hmm. oh the 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 balance you say right and so then uh, Entrapta gives us more exposition about how, first of all, it's just the elemental princesses because she doesn't have a runestone mm-hmm. and she makes an offhanded joke about how Scorpia doesn't seem like she's ever been connected to hers. But maybe that's because uh, it was taken from her family before she was born and maybe that's not her fault. Maybe that's not her fault. And we finally get some sort of understanding of elemental princesses here, right? Right. And right. We, so we have like a, I'm not sure if it's a hierarchy or not of princess, but there's certainly a division between the elemental princess and the non-elemental princess. Well, it's funny because um, Spinarella and Natasa also are non-elemental princesses, but they still have powers. But they have magic. Yeah. Right. Right, and they still glow in the in the princess gay rainbow at the end of the episode. So I have Do no they, idea. Are they part of that rainbow? Yes, they are. They are. Okay. Yeah, they are. 
Well, then who knows? It's all just a sloppy queer clusterfuck of various princesses and all of their cool shit. I think I've been to that party. <laughs> I'm sure you have. It was a great party. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But some of them have runestones and are elemental. Yep. And those are the ones that are affected by this whole elemental balance situation. Yep. And, you know, that includes our waterbenders, our plantbenders, our icebenders, uh, uh, yep. our moonbenders, and our powerbenders. Yes, of course. Um, and so Catcher, of course, wants to know how can we make this permanent? And Trapto wants to theorize and test. Of course, Catcher doesn't hold with that kind of time-taking Michigas. So she just snaps one of the light bulbs with her little kitty claw. And of course, this part also doesn't make sense, but I'll let it go. All the power from breaking that one goes to the Black Garnet instead of being equally distributed among all the others, which is what would happen in reality if one of those points popped, well, I think. I, I mean, it it depends on how... It and Trapta seems like a way better engineer than That's that, true. but it could be set up where one one fails, they all fail. So, mm, oh, interesting. But Entrapped is not the one who designed who designed this whole balance of power between the elemental princesses, though. No, but she's the one that designs the model. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but we're assuming that they made the model. They, the creators of this show that we are discussing, made the model reflect what they wanted people to actually think, which is like, oh, it's all going to go to the Black Garnet. Well, I think the whole the whole deal on this is um, even more than like, you know, the that is, you know, Catra is showing that um, tactical intelligence, that if you break a cog, the system fails. That's what Catra does. That's true. Catra breaks the cog, the entire system fails. Everything goes off balance. And that's that's what it is. So we're 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 not we're seeing what happens when things go off balance? Yes. Well, clearly. So like, that's like, that's the important thing that has yes, to be communicated yes. here, right? You're not wrong. The next move is get a strike team together, kids. We're going to Bright Moon. Because bold moves get the goods, kids. Let's do the thing. That's right. And in case anyone didn't get it, Scorpia asks why. Catcher explains that we're going to take out the runestone with the Whispering Woods frozen over. There's nothing stopping us. Yep. And then there's a great scene transition because they pan up to their like tech screen bug eye kind of like sciency view mm-hmm. of the woods. Yeah. And then it transitions into the actual woods from there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. So I want to talk about this this gorgeous shot. So yes. what, I, what I have is a pants to the magical window showing bright moon and the runestone. And then it switches to Queen Angela with a moonstone. She flies up and recharges the moonstone mm-hmm. uh, and herself. And then sends like sends the beacon, sends like a distress beacon out. Yes. So I want to talk. <laughs> I want to talk about the Virgin Mary. Sure. Sure. My, my greatest area of expertise. Sure. A uh, big, big disclaimer here. Both Jenny and myself are members of the tribe, aka we are both Jews. Neither one of us really has an expertise in, um, say, you know, understandings of Catholicism or, you know, in this case, like Marian uh, theology. Yeah, I mean, my first girlfriend was Catholic, but (laughs) (laughs) she was not, neither one of us was interested in uh, learning church stuff when we were 16 and dating. So yeah, I I am certainly no expert, but go on. But church shit, church shit, specifically like Catholic imagery shows up in Western art since the beginning of Catholic imagery. You know, it's one of those things, right? Yeah. So this in particular... Reminded me 
of it looked incredibly Marian. Uh, Marian, by the way, is the adjective one uses to describe uh, something relating to the uh, Virgin Mary, Mother of God. Um, that is cool because I was going to be like, wait, who's Marian? Who's Marian? Um, so, uh, in particular, this remind this looked like a saint medallion for me. So I did some googling, and it looked like this. So it's called the Medal of Our Lady of Graces. It is also called the uh, the Miraculous Medal. I'm going to look that one up, but. I'm looking it up, too, because I want to see it. So it was based on a vision um, by St. Catherine. St. Catherine Labore, by the way. Oh, yes. I see it. Yeah. So Catherine reported that the Blessed Mother uh, came to her and said, so this is really interesting. Uh, the, first, the, God, the Virgin Mary came to her and said, God wishes to charge you with a mission. You will be contradicted, but do not fear. You will have the grace to do what is necessary. Tell your spiritual director all that passes within you. Times are evil in France. Okay, this was, she was French and in the world. And then the next time that she sees this image, she sees the Mary, she sees the Virgin again. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so this is the description of her vision. And I found this very interesting. She displays herself inside of an oval frame standing upon a globe. She wore many rings with gems that shone light all over the globe. Around the margins of the frame appear the words, and I'm going to say the English, not the French. Oh, Mary, conceive us without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. Um, and you're going, you see Mary kind of holding her arms out almost in an angelic pose. Yep. Radiating light. Because Mary is the one that is radiating light, not the gems. Uh, some of the gems did show light and some of them didn't. And Mary reported, really replied when asked, those are the graces for which people forgot to ask oh so this is an interesting one that's nice yeah so it just it the, the image itself looked like that and i felt like it it looked like that and i thought it was interesting because it was you know kind of like you know times are evil here we're gonna charge you with a mission but you have to do what is necessary right hmm. i'll allow it yeah and people <laughs> use this uh people use this particular prayer that's associated with this um to receive grace that is certainly something that Angela seems capable of. Yep, and 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 prepares them to cooperate with the grace. So it's almost as if Angela is both receiving and giving grace. Sure. A blessing to, yeah. you know, herself. Because she's a fucking angel, right? What kind of ma magic do angels have? I don't know. Unlimited? <laughs> Unlimited fucking holy white, you know, holy uh, quote unquote white magic, right? So this is... Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like white, Why don't white, we say good magic instead? Yes. And I will get to that. In a, I'll get to that in a second. White and black magic are bullshit dichotomies. All I'm saying is that, you know, this is an image of Angela as an angelic force of good using traditional symbolism of angels and angelic goodness and light that's all yeah yeah no i mean i got that i got that for sure yeah. and i i that's why i said like yeah i'm i'm down with that analogy for sure especially knowing that nd was raised you know very christian yeah and has imagery like this in their mind yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, while this isn't particular, this is like a very kind of specific Catholic understanding, this sort of understanding of, you know, like the Holy Holy Mother, 
is within like a Catholic Christian framework, but also does kind of transcend that as well. But utilizing that with an angel framework, like there was no way for me. And of course, you know, you see the Mary, the Mary and the oval and the egg shape is also something that is seen throughout um, Catholic imagery. And that's just taken from Jewish imagery also, the whole egg and their cycle of rebirth and la de la. So Yeah, yeah, I mean, the truth is these archetypes are older than any religion. Absolutely. So, you know, we're talking about archetypes that Mary embodies. She's yeah. not the one defining it even. This is just a reference point. Exactly. This is and a reference point. in that point. sense, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's not going to be the first time that we allude to, you know, Christian imagery. And even in this episode, I mean, the entire thing starts with like a very, you know, Christian eschatological Honestly, understanding of the apocalypse. But I, yeah. I didn't think about it at all. I mean, there's, it, it's also very, you know, Buffy apocalypsy. Yeah, like, sure. Oh, hell mouth, hell mouth. Like, I didn't really think it was super Christian, the apocalypse part. Well, I mean, apocalypse within itself is a, is a Christian understanding of es- of, es- of an eschatological. Eschatology, oh, right. by the Damn way, it. means uh, the study of the end of days. So eschatological oh. is. Um, wow. Yeah. Pertaining to that study. Pertaining to that study. So, like, even the word apocalypse comes from, All right. from the Greek. Like, dude, I could go All right. into this. No, you're this. right. God damn it. You're but, right. But, you know, we are working within a, we are working within a framework that uses so much Christian imagery and so much Christian understanding that it's normalized and not even understood to be Christian in a lot of places. Yeah, so, that's true. So. Absolutely. So after Angela has charged up the distress beacon... We go back to a shot of the best friend squad in the sky. They see the bacon. Hurrah, it's bright moon. Hurrah. Let's go. Everyone reassembles with Angela, and they all have exposition to share. Exposition. Elements out of balance. Uh-huh. Moonstone now totally focused on fighting the dark storm. Angela totally focused on powering the moonstone, but it's not enough. The horde is definitely coming. And Bo assumes someone has a plan. Right. But no one does. But no one really has a plan. Yeah. Um, other than we must protect bright moon at all costs there will be yes. nothing left once again here we yeah. go here's the motif of light and dark if the moonstone right. is destroyed there'll be nothing left to stop the darkness once again we have an angelic character talking in shades of holy war right this is after we've transitioned to the war room yep and actually i wanted to make note that when we transition to the war room the first shot we see is that giant mural on the wall of Mike, Mike and Angie. Yep, of Mike and Ange. And then we pan down to the level where the people yep. are. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. And a lot of this, so I want to, I'm going to get into this a little bit more later, but a lot of this also comes from the Lord of the Rings. All right. <laughs> Another text I am not familiar with. The truth is I read it when I was very young, mm-hmm. um, but I never read it again. And I was not a big fan of the movies. <laughs> yeah, so. no, that's fair. So um, I think we'll talk about it. I'll bring it up and uh, I'll go on Professor Smart Brain thing about okay, the Lord good. of the Rings. Okay, very good. So they did go over these basic plans in the war room. Protect Bright Moon at all costs. If the moon is destroyed, there will be nothing left to stop the darkness. Bum, bum, bum. Bo doesn't understand why no one has responded to the distress beacon yet. And Adora, who has been pacing around this whole time, tells him very dispiritedly, the alliance is broken, the princesses have their own kingdoms to worry about, no one's coming. Yep. Someone's come! (laughs) Someone's coming! Which, by the way, is also something very Lord of the Rings, so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So this entire battle is based on a battle, is 
very reminiscent of a battle from the Lord of the Rings. I know I'm going to keep dropping teasing hints, but I really okay. want to get to like the Yeah, I thought that was it. just a really good comedy beat. Like, yeah. no one's coming. Someone's come. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, the no one's coming part. And then we have Spinnerella and Natasha yes. coming in. Yes. And Bo's like, uh, what do you Bo, guys? Bo, for once in his life, is not very nice. <laughs> right? It's like... It's like, why don't you know what they do? They're awesome. Yeah. These are your cool gay aunties. Yeah, exactly. And they have cool powers. They don't have to do shit. And I could be stoked that my cool gay aunties show up. They could just be yeah. like, hey, kid, you want to go fishing? And I'll be like, yeah, thanks, cool gay aunties. Yeah. I don't even want to go fishing, but cool gay aunties are going to take me fishing. I'll fucking go fishing with my cool gay aunties. Exactly. You know? That's right. Respect. Respect your gay elders. But since Bo still doesn't know what they do, it is a good opportunity for Natasha to tell us. Nets! She tosses them! She toss nets! It's in the name. It's in the name. And I love that this is a smirky nod to how dumb their fucking names are. (laughs) (laughs) And then Spinny says, yes, darling, you have beautiful nets. Spinny, by the way, is voiced by uh, Andy Stevenson. Yes, yes. Um, And I wanted to put Spinnerella's entrance as my first gayest moment nomination. Oh, all right. Because we all know that we all know that Spinnerella and Natasha are a married couple and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. That's true. They are really you know, super gay. This, this is too. normalizing adult wives just walking into a room. Yeah. yeah. Arm in arm, yep. calling each other darling. Very clear. Yep. And it's totally not a big deal at all. It's mm. it's banal even, which yep. is fantastic. Yep, yep, it is homonormative. It is homonormative as fuck. As fuck. And that is a huge leap, which is super exciting. It's exciting to be able to be boring sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I got a button the other day that said gay and tired. And I'm like, this, <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is legit my identity. Like, sometimes... Yeah. I'm professionally gay, but other times I just want to, like, go to sleep. and like Sometimes you want to be off the clock. Right? Like, sometimes you just want to eat nachos like the rest of us, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to eat heterosexual nachos. I just get, sometimes I get tired. No. So. But no. you don't have to. I don't have, have to. Homo- homonormative nachos for everyone. Homonormative nachos. So, while <laughs> at the very end of this, the last person who is going to inadvertently diss Spinnerella Natasa is Glimmer. When she says, well, at least you have powers. Just like, who, what? Like, that's just a backhanded insult. Yes, legit. Like, who said their powers weren't, weren't powers? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I know, she it's says, stupid. But I don't, at least you have powers, which is more than I have. But it's okay. I don't need powers to fight. And Jealous says, no, it's too dangerous. Glimmer says, but mom. And we have the usual back and forth on that. But that, mm-hmm. of course, is when Shira shira when adora jumps in and says shira can do this alone this is what she's for oh are we sure are we sure that's what she's for really don't you don't you listen to the theme song yeah right well it's gonna take her a while i know you know she's got a long journey ahead of her too i know and then Bo tells her that nobody not even shira can defeat an entire army alone and adora is very sad what good is she? Oh my god, Adora. I love you, but girl, come on. And then she on. goes outside and stands dramatically in front of the storm-tossed moonstone. Oh my god. <laughs> Hair whipping. <laughs> oh, and this is when I have a note that the wind becomes like a constant background character for the rest of this episode. <laughs> it totally does, and everything is it's way more epic. It's very important. The constant, the wind is constantly blowing in their hair and their clothes. It gives 
a visual effect of urgency, impending climax, movement. Yep. It's like it's like uh, Entrapta spinning around in her chair. Yep, yep. But majestic and shit. But majestic and shit. I love that. I love yeah. that. It does make everything more fucking majestic and shit. Oh, yeah. It's all Captain Marvel for me now. Ugh. With the floating, the floating flame hair. Ugh, Captain Marvel, a.k.a. a documentary about what it was like to be gay in the 90s. Oh, yes. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. With the nine inch. I, I know I wore a nine inch nails cap, too. Oh, fuck yeah. So they're still trying to, back in this scene, cheer Adora up and get her back on track. She is totally obsessed with Catra. My note here is Adora. Catra, Catra, Catra. <laughs> Oh, Not in Katra. that voice, obviously, but you know. I know. I love that. My note here is when Glimmer says, what happened to you in that first one's temple? Gay shit. Gay <laughs> shit happened there. Gay emo shit. Gay emo shit. I broke up with my girlfriend. Yeah. Well, and I really do appreciate the fact that Adora says, I thought I could reach her, but all I did was push her further to the side of evil. She doesn't put the blame on Katra for the fact that they were having conflict and that it wasn't able to be resolved. She doesn't say, well, she wouldn't listen. She's impossible. She's like, oh, I tried, but I failed to do what I was trying to do, which was like, talk to her like a friend. I also want to say there that this choice of the phrase, the side of evil is also kind of one of those. So like good and good and bad in this episode, because we are having a literal battle, good and bad are framed in an incredibly Manichaean way, which... Uh, I should probably define Manichaean, so. Okay, so Manichaeanism is a religion that was founded um, in the third century. Um, it teaches that there's an elaborate dualistic cosmology between the, describing the struggle between good and the spiritual word of light and evil in the material world of darkness. So Manichaeanism is, um, it is, you know, essentially an like- exacerbated- relationship between good and bad yeah, in a so, way that's extremely polarizing in black and white. Yeah, yeah. So it just means that. And it is actually based on the spiritual beliefs of uh, a major religion. So Okay. So but all of this was just because we said that Adora using the word evil points to an exaggerated yeah so this like i said so this episode definitely like has very exaggerated understandings whereas the show itself does a really good job of exploring you know what drives people's motivations for action that's true and an action and a choice is what where their um perceived both for themselves and for others uh, morality is this episode because it is a battle between two forces very much has a lot of stuff about good and evil and light and dark yes. and you know like yes it's so, very like, reductive but sometimes that's how things are when you're in the moment in the conflict when you're in the moment in a conflict in a war true that so so adora is expounding on her capture-based insecurities <laughs> you know i thought i could reach her I only pushed her further away and then she's combined evil. she's evil. Oh. Combined with Light Hope's recent gaslighting yep. to make her think that she puts everyone in danger just by being there. Yep. She's, you know, she says everything that's happening now is my fault. Yep. And Glimmer's response to that is a big hug. Mm. I know Glimmer says you've got this and we've got your back. Aww. And they have a big a big three-way best friend squad hug, mm. which is another really beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. They're framed by the moonstone on one side yeah. and a big bolt of red doom, doomy lightning on the other side. And it's 
dark stormy skies, the backdrop and the wind is howling around them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they're finding shelter from each other in this like horrifying, toxic landscape of death. Yeah. Oh. It's very visually dramatic. Yeah, I love it. Oh, they're 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 finding solace in the apocalypse with each other. Yes, and then they go inside to get ready. Yep, they're literally being the three of them are inside a light in the darkness. Yes, exactly. You you nailed it. And now the next scene is in the Bright Moon Armory. I love this. Yes. I love this. AKA the room where Glimmer has been secretly, not so secretly stockpiling weapons. Okay, like, so th- this is, I love how they, you know, have like Glimmer being a total reprobate in so many of these things. Like, this is another time where Glimmer was like, okay, so... I'm just going to take a little bit at a time and no one will notice. It's like those kids that like, not me, because dear listeners, I did not drink as a teenager. Um, But I had friends that would take a tiny bit of booze from their liquor cabinet every time I went over, thinking that their parents would never notice that anybody took their booze. Or they even did the thing where they would take a little and then they would put water in to make sure. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, the next time they drink from it, they're going to know there's water in it, right? Yeah, or they're not going to see. Like, I remember I had a friend one time who just took an entire bottle and was like, they're not going to notice this is gone. And I'm like, they're going to notice a fucking bottle of Jack Daniels is missing. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. It depends on the parents. But yes, it is hilarious that Glimmer thought that she could stockpile weapons without her mom noticing. Right, exactly. And it's totally Glimmer being like that teenager, too. I love it when they show Glimmer being like that teenager. I think it's awesome. Yes. So. Everybody has shiny puppy eyes for shiny new weapons. Ooh, dibs on the arrows. Delicious, delicious. <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I love when Swiftwind is like, can I, has the face yes. that's like, can I have a mace? Yes, like, yes. Like it, Bambi eyes for you know a deathly what? weapon. You know what? I want to start a campaign to give Swiftwind a fucking mace. I think Swiftwind deserves a weapon. How would he carry it? In his mouth. Okay. If he wants to do that, who am I to stop him? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more functional than a hammer and a sickle. Which oh, is, definitely. Which he would, you know, he would definitely have, but um, I think... Oh, I wasn't give, give picturing Swift- a weapon that he would definitely have. Yeah, yeah. Give Swiftwind a fucking mace. What about his horn? His horn is a deadly weapon. His horn is a deadly weapon. I'm talking like like a... I yeah, know. That's the, a, a weapon that is not a body part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Catra I'm has... in favor of Swiftwind getting to have a weapon. If everyone else has a weapon, why shouldn't Swiftwind have yes, a weapon? Yes, exactly. Just like the chair. Exactly. Swiftwind should have a weapon. And a chair. And a chair. Yes. And free all of the horses in Etheria. And free apples for everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So then mom comes in and Glimmer prepares her whole long argument speech. I can't just stand by while my friends and my home are in danger. And then Angela says, I know. (laughs) Which Glimmer was totally not prepared for. Yep. So while Angela is telling Glimmer that it's okay, she touches on the fact that she's tried so hard all these years to mold Glimmer into someone more like her. But she's too much like her father, which is obviously an underhanded compliment. Right. Which is, you know, stubborn, strong-willed, and brave like your father. Like Pops. Aw, Mike. And then she she gives her daughter, her, her dead husband king's, supposedly dead, giant scepter weapon magic thing whatever that is <laughs> staff thing it's a staff it's, it's a, a big staff. magic staff it's a magic it's a scepter. staff 
Scepter sounds so much more impressive. It does. It does. Big magic staff is a little more is a little too phallic for this show. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a tearjerker moment. Glimmer cries, happy tears. Oh, oh, we love this. There's probably more hugging. So before we move on to Shira's big transformation and the beginning of the battle, let's pause here to talk about Glimmer for a minute. I'd love because, to. Yes, because there have been a lot of times that we have had like conversations about Glimmer and how much of her is driven by ego. Mm-hmm. And, and I have never really agreed with that assessment. But I didn't really have any good examples to sort of, like, frame a good reply. Mm -hmm. But now at this point, at the end of this first season, I feel like I do. All right. Let's hear it. The line that she just said to her mom in the armory, I can't just stand by when my home and my friends are in danger. I feel like that is the core of who she is. Mm -hmm. And it's not about ego. It's about, like, she cannot be complicit by inaction ever. Oh. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. I see that. Yep. And I feel like she does have a strong sense of responsibility because she is the princess of Bright Moon and she was raised with the understanding that all of the people who live here are your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I have a really good example because I was just rewatching Black Lightning, which is another awesome kick-ass queer superhero show. Hell yeah. Um, And so for anyone who doesn't know the show, there's a superhero dad and two superhero kids with a non-superhero mom. Um, And uh, at one point, one of the super-powered kids says to the mom about a thing that happened, it's not your fault what happened, but you were responsible for that situation. Mm -hmm. So even though what happened had nothing to do with you and it wasn't your fault, you are still the person who is responsible for, you know... For that chunk of stuff, whatever it was, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. situation. And that is a really good point in terms of how people feel. Like, obviously, um, people like Glimmer and like Lynn Pierce um, understand that even when things are out of their control, it is on them. If you are the one in charge of this kingdom, then it is your responsibility to defend. Even if you feel like you might not have the tools, you might not have the best plan, You don't have the luxury of just sitting back and saying, well, I should wait or I should get someone else who's better at it Mm -hmm. because you, you know, it's your job, Mm -hmm. you're responsible, and these things are right here in front of you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, and I think she is very brash and sometimes she doesn't realize when her ego gets in the way because sometimes it does, of course. But I feel like that's not her main motivation, though. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm convinced. Wow, I am convinced. So much easier than I thought it would be. No, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I, I, I think the thing that convinced me the most is that you're right. Like she is brash and does not realize when her ego gets in the way, but her motivation is not her ego. And yes. I think you're right. She's impulsive. Yes, yes. But you're which right. is something that many of us were in our teens. Sure, sure. Princesses become queens over time, not overnight. Exactly, exactly. Well, technically, you can go. You, you become. Well, technically, you become queen in in a singular moment, but the journey towards queendom is long. The journey towards queendom is long, and we will see that journey towards queendom in our season four episodes, (laughs) which, boy howdy, we're going to cry the entire time. Oh, yes. But before we get there, let's have a big fucking battle. Let's have a big fucking battle. Before we get to our big fucking battle, let's talk about battle armor. Okay. Let's talk about shield maidens. Shield maidens? Shield maidens! So we have this really dope, hyper, 
like Nordic, like like plate armor on Adora in a in Shira battle mode. Which, by the way, we never see this again. We really? never see this battle armor. Huh. I wasn't paying close enough attention to pick up on that. Listeners, if you know when we see this particular transformation into this battle armor, please let me know. But as far as I remember, I do not believe that we do. So, you know, it's been said that the original She-Ra armor for the redesign was kind of, and indeed for the original, was kind of, um, you know, designed on uh, the idea of the, the, the Valkyrie and the, you know. Oh, yeah. It's very obvious. So the Valkyrie. But uh, I, the Shield Maiden kind of is where more um, Adora is with this right now. So the Shield Maiden is kind of where Valkyries come from. Valkyries are actually... Um, in uh, Nordic mythology, Valkyries yes. take the souls take the souls of the dead. So they are our yes. psychopomps. Yes, remember, remember we learned oh, that word. That was a good tag back. Thank you, thank you. But shield maidens were the female warriors, and they were exactly what said on the tin. They, you know, they had shields, just like Adora has in our in episode battle. here. Yes, she primarily uses her shield. Um, and you know, one of our climactic moments here is when Adora loses her shield. That's true. Um, so, uh, some really famous, uh, probably the most famous shield maiden is Brunhilda. Uh-huh. So. I know that name. We all know that name. That's all I know. <laughs> so Brunhilda's a shield maiden, uh, shows up in, uh, ancient, um, Nordic and Germanic, um, uh, epic poetry. She's like a powerful Amazon-like queen. Makes sense. She is, uh, instrumental in, you know, the story of Siegfried, the epic hero. And we hear, we learn mostly about, uh, Brunhilde in kind of modern day from, uh, Wagner. Aha! Aha! Ha 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 ha! Enjoy me some Wagner. If folks don't know, uh, Wagner, uh, Richard Wagner is, you know, is said in English. Created a giant fucking epic opera with four different parts. Yes. Everyone knows it. Even if you don't know, you know it. If you you don't know it, you know it. And I'll tell you how in a second. It's called The Ring Cycle. Um, And includes the Flight of the Valkyries, right? It includes the Flight of the Valkyries, which I'm going to get to. Oh, yeah. That this is the story. This is the story of characters in Nordic legends and, you know, Nordic sagas and all of this shit. It also, uh, Wagner uh, conceptualized the idea of the total art form. Um, which is kind of where concepts of, you know, big epic uh, theater and film actually kind of Hmm. uh, plays into the idea of the total art form. Because Wagner's idea is that every single piece of, uh, every single piece of the performance of this is its own art form. So it's, you know, in the opera. So it's the music and the words and all of these things. And, and so like he conceptualized this like epicness as the total art form. Cool. How do we know in pop culture, Wagner? Well, we know the flight of the Valkyries. How do we know the flight of the Valkyries? We know it because of the Bugs Bunny short, What's Opera Doc? With Bugs oh. Bunny as Brunhilde and Elmer Fudd as Sigmund <laughs> singing Killed a wabbit, killed a wabbit, oh killed a wabbit. Yeah, so. Yes. So that's how that I get. That is. That that's, fucking is. That's how I get from Epic Nordic Poetry to Bugs Bunny. Wow, that was a long reach. One more really quick With a one. solid landing. Here's my flourish on the landing. The imagery of Brunhilde or Brunhilda in The Ring Cycle is the origin 
of It's Not Over Until the Fat Lady Sings. Wow. Yep. That's where that comes from. Yep. And, you know, when you're seeing, like, very stereotypical, like, burlesques and, like, you know, like, goofy things of opera and you see the fat lady yeah. with the yeah, horns yeah. and the the braids yeah. and the dressed like a Valkyrie. Clearly Brunhilde. It's Brunhilde, um, who is generally perceived as, quote, a very buxom lady uh, because her final, her farewell scene lasts 20 minutes and leads to the direct finale of the whole ring cycle, which is the fucking end of the world. Right. So not only is it not, you know, it's like literally the world ends when the when the fat lady sings, when the Vulk or the buxom blonde warrior woman finishes her aria. All right. So we're back to this year of transformation where she transforms fully into Brunhilde, like with all of the shit. And then we get to see everybody else's dope armor. Yep. Uh, A couple of notes on the dope. Everybody else's dope armor. Swiftwind has greaves and a chest piece, apparently. And like greaves, greaves are uh, leg protectors. Ah, yeah, he's got horse armor. Yeah, what are you going to send him out naked with no armor? Everybody else has armor. No, I love it. I love Swiftwind's armor. Um, yeah, I love love glimmers because uh, it had. It's very you know, it's very plate armor. It's very reminiscent of like medieval like european armor and it has wings i didn't pay that close attention honestly to the armor but yeah the cape looks like it has wings yeah also um silver is a metal that is uh traditionally in uh western symbolism associated with the moon hmm. glimmer is the moon that's yep. right so and swift winds armor is also i think definitely a callback to the armor that the Swiftwind character in the original yeah, show. Yeah, remember because that? Because I believe, I could be wrong, because, you know, this is very, very old memories, but I know that in He-Man, his magic animal was only his magic animal when he had his saddle on. When he had his saddle on, he was Battle Cat. Yeah. Rawr. But when he didn't have his saddle on, he was, he was cringer, cringer. And he was a whole separate personality. I know. And I can't remember if Adora's mount was just a regular horse until she put the war saddle and stuff on him. And then he magically became a Pegasus. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that either. Is that? I can't remember whether that is the case or not. But he definitely had special special armor that he only wore when Shira was Shira. Yeah. And when she was Adora, he was just like regular. Yeah. Regular guy. But and like happened by magic every time she transformed. Right. Also, he would transform. Whereas like now, like, you know, this we only see this once. Yes. But it's a nice throwback. Yeah, and Bo's armor uh, does not cover his stomach. No, nothing Bo wears will ever cover his stomach, including a spacesuit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. There is a <laughs> there is an ab window, which is like a boob window, but um, I I would say less fun. I would agree. But moving back to the scene, um, some other stuff that I noticed, even though I wasn't really noticing the armor that much. Um, I am the non-music person here, but I was really noticing the music. Mm-hmm. Very serious horns and drums let you know that it is almost time to commence battle. Battle. Like, those horns and drums yeah. are working really hard. Yeah. And I also really liked the first few shots. Like, there's like 30 seconds where no one talks and they're just sort of framing up mm-hmm. um, this scene. So we start off with a shot of the best friend squad in their war gear, standing in front of the castle with the wind in their hair. Yes. And then like, dun, dun. Then you zoom out quickly from that shot. Like you zoom straight backwards 
to the horde's view from the opposite bank. You've got like a horde tank mm-hmm. on either side of you. Yep. So, you know, it's like an, a majestic shot of the of the trio and then zoom far back, the horde approaches and then bum bum bum, the tanks now move closer. Snare drum bursts are starting. Very serious impending war music. And then you see Shira in profile against the gray stormy sky looking very resolute with her hair blowing majestically in the goddamn mood-setting wind. Yes! She looks at the moonstone, we look at the moonstone, we look at Shira one more time with her resolute expression, and she's she's just basically having that moment you can see in her face that, like, she's not happy about it, but she's going to do what she has to do. Yep. And then, and this is all still with no talking, we get another shot of the best friend squad with all their hands together on the sword hilt, expressing togetherness. Yep. And then they give each other a three-second pep talk. And only after all of this mood setting occurs does the Horde take the first shot. Boom! All that happened, they were all just standing around staring at each other. Mood setting, mood setting, mood setting. And the Horde very politely waited until the end of all that mood setting, basically. Lovely! I love that To launch the them. first shot, which is very nice. They appreciate, you know, setting the scene. Yeah! That's a really great so- segue into me talking about the Lord of the Rings. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about the Lord of the Rings. So if you are a fan of this show, which if you're listening to this, you probably are, um, you probably already know that ND and uh, their wife, Molly, are big fucking Lord of the Rings fans. Yes, so ND's career started with uh, one of the things that ND uh, started their career with was a fan comic called The Broship of the Rings, which was essentially a hipster retelling of The Lord of the Rings. Adorable. Yeah, it's super funny. You can actually still find it if you just uh, search Broship of the Rings. You can see, um, and they did this in college, and you can see, um, (laughs) it's really cute. You can see their old Tumblr, and you can see all of the stuff that they did, like all the interviews and all that stuff they did about it when they're like a super duper baby. They're like 21 years old, like. Like, it's really adorable. Little little baby, little baby ND. Uh, Noelle's wife, Molly Ostertag, uh, who is a phenomenal writer and uh, illustrator in her own right, uh, spent her quarantine time writing and illustrating Frodo Sam fanfic. They often, the two of them often post pictures of themselves in, uh, in costume for marathon movie sessions, and they make, like, hobbit snacks for it like they go full <laughs> out they are fucking wow. they are as big of lord of the rings nerds as jenny and i are she nerds so yeah that's probably a fair comparison so but why the lord of the rings so really high level um it's you know a hundred percent like a you know a thing like in our in pop culture today in culture today um but the lord of the rings started as it's an epic high fantasy novel by english author and scholar J.R.R. tolkien uh, the setting is Middle Earth, which is Earth at a distant time and past. I thought it was a whole different world from our world. They have nope. talking trees and stuff. Yeah, but it's like the it's the, the the time before our time type oh, of damn. fantasy setting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's the whole thing. Uh, so uh, it refers to um, you know the Dark Lord Sauron who created one ring and you know one ring to rule them all. There are all these fucking other races of men and dwarves and elves. Uh, A simple hobbit named Frodo has to take the one ring to Mordor to destroy the... I know one thing about hobbits. What? They have proud feet? 
They are a simple folk, but they crave adventure. Yes, like me. I heavily identify as a hobbit. As I do not like to wear shoes, I am quite short. I definitely eat second breakfast, and I love pipe weed. You're not that short. I'm like five, two and a half, five, three, dude. I'm not tall. Are you kidding? Yeah. How have I never noticed that you're short when I'm standing next to you? Because I have a big personality. You do. I do. Totally thought you were the same height as me. Nah, dude, I'm short. I'm Um, 5'6", for reference. Yeah, no, I'm wicked short. I'm like... I'm but like you a carry wee person, well. but I carry it well. I, I carry much taller than I am, but I'm I'm wicked okay. short. So what's the correlation between um, all things Lord of the Ringsy and eh. this episode slash this show? Sure. So um, as we've mentioned, as I've mentioned before, and as we've talked about, um, you know, there are some major influences in Shira. The Lord of the Rings being a very big one. Um, there are some visual nods. Uh, Specifically, in particular episodes that are shot-for-shot recreations of uh, Frodo and Sam. Um, They talk, uh, and Andy... And is that with Catra and Adora? With Catra and Adora. And Andy talks about this in other places. There are some other thematic things, but it really shows in this particular episode. So, this particular episode uh, mirrors the penultimate battle in uh the return of the kings which is like it's the the second to last big battle um mm. in let's just pe- what penultimate means um yes, yes yes penultimate is the second to last uh so it, it represents this penultimate battle of essentially like the b characters um defending uh gondor which is you know a city you know the city a good of men. place that should be defended it's the good guys right uh, uh, um, against uh, the bad guys, against uh, the Dark Lord Sauron, and um, in this case, it's his second in command, who is the Witch King, which, by the way, is fucking awesome. So it's very much so. We have. Oh, by the way, um, to be more specific, this the battle, the the battle of um, Pelennor Fields is the battle in which. The dark forces of Lord Sauron, led by the Witch King, led by the Second in Command, you know, those forces of the Horde, led by Catra, go mm-hmm. up against uh, Minas Tirith. So, um, just kind of this like epic battle between these two big forces, um, specifically, you know, kind of a last stand type of battle where you know all all feels as it, you know, if hope yeah. hope is lost, and then we have the right. cavalry come in. It. Uh, mirrors this this particular battle where when all hope was lost in Gondor, Gondor called for aid. They literally also sent up a distress beacon. And mm-hmm. then, you know. And who came? Who came, you said? Why, it was the Princess Alliance. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was the cavalry of its allies uh, from Rohan. So it was very, it's very much that epic battle, you know, it's defense, um, defending the last stand of goodness against this literal horde of, of evil. Yes. Um, when all hope is lost, when all hope is lost, the cavalry comes in because, you know, uh, because the defense was signaled up and it couldn't be done unless we all did it together. Basically, there are so many more parallels. I bet they did not have a giant gay rainbow at the end of that battle, though. Uh, no, I don't believe they no. did. They don't believe they did, no. But... That's okay. It was a turning point in the entire 
you know, in the entire good versus evil thing. And then Frodo was able to yeah, no doubt put the ring in, but he didn't do it. They had to fight a giant spider. There's a lot of gay shit. Hobbits are cool. They're talking trees. I remember those guys. Those guys were cool. Yeah, yeah. Talking trees are dope. Um, there is so much more about the Lord of the Rings. There is so much more in here. I mean, there are like right. You know, there is so much scholarship around it. I am scratching the surface on this. I'm not even a Lord of the Rings nerd. I've seen the movies a bunch of times, um, but a lot of time passively. One of my favorite things to do is mute the Return of the Kings and put on um, power metal and then just watch it as an entire <laughs> like like uh, like metal music video because it it fits. You just that put sounds on, like, like something that would work. It totally yeah. does. It's yeah, yeah, it syncs up totally well. All right. Well, I will take your word for it because none of this is really my area, but it, it lines up. It makes total sense. And yep. I'm sure that the people who want to dive deep will dive deep. And please if you guys do. find any really cool facts that you want to share with us, please hit us up on social media so we can all learn together. And, you know, please educate me on the Lord of the Rings because, yeah. Shall we commence the doing of the battle? Oh, my God. Can we? Boom, boom. Battle, battle. It's time for a battle, so we yes. get some battle. Fucking Shira slices a laser beam. Yep. I love when she she just looks at the others and she says, Defend the moonstone. And then she gives like the opening the opening stroke not the stroke, the opening hit, whatever. She does one giant blast of her awesomeness and it just yeah. like pushes everybody back. Yeah, yeah. She does like a like a force push, right? Like she slices yeah. a laser beam in fucking half, which Okay. And then she does like this force push, pushes everybody out. We have epic fighting. We have Swift uh, Wind flies up into the sky yelling for, for the, the rebellion. <laughs> Dramatic exit into sky. I love it. I love it. Queenie flies up to the moonstone and gives it a little something something. So boom, now the moonstone blasts everything the way like she gave her energy to the moonstone and then the moonstone is like, boom, I'm gonna take you all out. So it's not a finishing move, but it is a big power move. Yeah, so so they're coming in. I mean, they're coming in heavy on 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 the Bright Moon side, right? Like they're they're really trying to like you know get some really big initial pushes in there, right? We have robots being destroyed and yep. Swiftwind hitting things and yep. Glimmer beating the shit out of things with with her staff because she's a fucking tank. Yep. Yeah, everybody starts off strong. Their spirits are high. Up to a point, and then I don't really buy the way Shira loses her sword I slash know. shield, but it's one of those things you have to let go because it's a short show. Yeah. And it is a TVY7 battle, so. Yeah, so she gets knocked back. She loses her shield. She's looking for it. Oh shit, Jenny. Oh shit. Oh shit. She looks up, and who does she see? She sees. The next gayest moment nomination. <laughs> yeah, which is, I have that as well. Which is, Catra, this particular Hey Adora is completely unique. The yes. way she says it. She's like, super psyched and also sort of casually confident. And she's mm-hmm. like, all right, this is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey Adora. Like, hey Adora. Did I you can't mention- even do it. She's so smug. She's straddling a tank. With the barrel of the tank coming out 
not like between her legs, but enough where she's like, you know, arms akimbo, straddling the tank, right. just being like, this is my big, di- like my big D yes. energy right here. What do you think of my giant dick? Yeah, like here's my yes. big strap energy. Yes. Boom. Yes. So that's what Adora sees. And like, okay, sure. <laughs> and so that's the opening of their fight. Yeah. And then so like, you know, that moment could be one gayest moment nomination. I agree. And then like the whole fight they have could be another gayest moment nomination. Yes. Just so the dance, I... the dance fight. It's so beautifully choreographed. Yes. It reminds yes. me of Avatar. And also now since uh, Shang-Chi just got released on Disney Plus, incredible, gorgeous, choreographed kung fu scenes all up and down that movie and so you know that kind of action is like my favorite kind of action mm-hmm. really cool hand-to-hand combat that kind of looks like dancing yeah yeah and i actually have so i have this entire fight scene as my gayest moments and i have it as the tango yes because it's it's sexy it's very sexy this fight scene reminds me of the fight scene between spike and buffy and fool for love hmm so there is this very yeah. particular yeah. fight yeah. scene yeah. where it's you on that. very much, it's it's more about distraction. Um, so for context, uh, at this point in the in, in Buffy, um, Spike can't hit somebody without causing you know, um, immense pain. He can't hit anybody. He's got a chip in his head. He's got a chip in his head, but he can pretend to fight. And so he True. does. At Buffy's request, he's At- helping her train. Yes, Basically. so so they are, they're training, they're fighting, but they're dancing. And it's very much this, like, there's something about this fight that has the highest stakes and yet is only there to distract. Mm-hmm. Like, the stakes are interpersonal. Mm-hmm. Because, like, <laughs> this is not even the first, this is, like, the second out of, like, a zillion times where Catra just shows up to distract Adora. By yeah. just being like, hey girl, let's go. And Adora's like, yeah. I gotta fight her now, right? <laughs> yeah. like, hold on, I gotta go chase She's it. And, and totally everyone, taking yeah. advantage of the fact that Adora is already completely focused on her and has been since before she even got there. And will continue to be completely yes. focused yes. on Catra. Like, as long as Catra keeps fighting her, she's going to keep fighting Catra. She's going to keep so fighting Catra. And so Catra's setting the tone of not even necessarily wanting to win right away, but just wanting to keep Adora going as long as she can. Yeah. And also, like, she know, like, also Catra is a tactical fighter. You know, mm-hmm. she's an intelligent fighter. She knows that if she keeps the strongest fighter that they have occupied, which exactly. she knows she can do. Exactly. Because all she has to do is show up and be all, hey, Adora. And then, <laughs> yes. And then it's yes. always like, uh-oh. Yes. Derp. Must yes. chase now. <laughs> I must yes. chase girl. And then like, you know, yes. wackiness. Exactly and that. Exactly. And then the whole, exactly. And then the whole big battle is going on next to them and Adora's not even noticing. And not even noticing because that's, you know, Adora's pretty single minded. Yeah. So while they're having their fight, there's some interspersing back and forth with Glimmer and Spinatasa battling Scorpia. Boom. Nets. Which is what we all say now when we accomplish something. Absolutely. I have incorporated this into my everyday life. But we did skip oh, yeah. over a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Oh. Um, so the first thing we have is Catra saying, hey, Adora. And, you know, Adora's like, surprised to see me. Because, you know, she's like, you know, she's like this lovely, wonderful jock who's just like, yeah, man. Well, I made it out <laughs> alive, right? And Catra's <laughs> like, no, really. I, I figured it wouldn't be that easy to get rid of you. And I think that this shows that in Promise, there was no actual intent to kill Adora. In Promise? Yeah, when she cuts her free. 
When Catherine cuts right. Dora free, I don't think there was any intent there to do any like har- like yeah. major harm, right? Well, like I don't think I there don't was know. any intent to kill her or to make her like. I agree with that. I agree that there she wasn't trying to kill her because she probably was very aware that this was not enough to kill Adora. Right. Right. Um, but beyond that, I don't think she was trying to quantify like how much harm was no an acceptable amount of harm. No, she it's wasn't, just like I'm, I'm not going to kill you. No, I'm just cutting, I'm literally just cutting you loose, but yeah. yeah. So then there's that. And then the other note that I have is that right before we kind of go into the interspersing fight, we have, you know, (laughs) Adora then just like does a running tackle and and like, just like literally just goes and goes, jumps and goes, bam, like double, you know, (laughs) know. onto the tank. And like, that was like a real like wrestling yeah, Adora's like, like big smash, and then Katra does this unbelievably elegant flip yeah. backwards and up like twenty feet yeah. onto this little little bit of cliff, oh, like a rock. Yeah, and Katra's yeah, like, like all these little little rocks jutting out of the cliff. Yeah, and Katra's like, I'm glad that you could make it out here alive because now, and then her claws come out. I could take you out myself, and I I really, dear listeners, this is an incredibly important part of the series. Because we now know one very important lesson here. We've learned something very, very important. Catra's claws are retractable. Yes. This is important for many reasons. So many reasons. So many reasons. (laughs) Many Catra in a suit related reasons. (laughs) That's true. I didn't make note of that specifically, that this was the time when we first had like documentation yeah that they that are cl- ret- that catcher's claws are retractable but catcher's you're absolutely claws right are retractable so yes. it's important it's very important to know so after that because also catcher's claws can like you know cut like cut through steel and fucking yeah. rock and yeah. shit like that yeah um which we also learn in this fight but i feel like that is probably the most important thing that i personally learn in this fight. <laughs> i mean that's fair I, you that's know, fair I, i'm i'm a simple hobbit you know <laughs> But you crave adventure. I crave it. I certainly do. <laughs> also, like, you're definitely seeing, like, Bo is definitely shady in the beginning. But, like, yo, Spinnerel and Natasa are powerful as fuck. They are. They deserve respect. They deserve respect. And also their powers work together. Because they... I know. I love them. It's so wonderful. I know. I want my gay aunties to take me fishing. I want my gay aunties to take me wherever they're going because I'm sure I will enjoy it. Aww. We also end up eventually going back to the Catradora battle dance. Mm-hmm. And I really like the line that Catra says when Adora says, there's no way you win this. Mm-hmm. And Catra says, I already made it a lot further than anyone thought I would. I love that. It's too. very juicy. It's unbelievably Buffy Faith adjacent. Ugh, I know. Ugh. And I love the way she's walking when she says it. She's doing that like hippie mm-hmm. side crosswalk where she's yes. facing you and walking sideways and like yes. the hips are just doing their thing and uh-huh. you know she's she's like poised and like just so like ready to pounce even mm-hmm. while she's like having this tiny discussion and the fact that like it does make a huge difference to her burgeoning sense of self yep. to know yep. that despite as far as she's concerned no one having any belief in her or care for her or expectations that she would ever amount to anything. Mm-hmm. She has proven to herself that she can do a lot of shit. Yeah. And she's just going to keep getting more capable and more mm-hmm. effective. And she's starting to really, like, grok that. Yes. 
Yeah. So that's an important moment for her. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then, oh, fuck. This this fight is so good. Yeah, and then we move on to the part where it seems like Catcher's winning and it starts to get kind of dark. Yeah. Ugh, which she, you know, there's there's more fighting, there's more fighting. She takes out all of her claws and just like rips yeah. up Adora's back. And they did a good shot. I feel like there's a moment where the screen was black and the scratch marks mm-hmm. were red and that was all you saw just to really mm-hmm. like make you feel it. Yeah. Which was very effective. And this is also one of the like more like probably the first time we see an incredibly violent direct attack yeah. from Katra onto Adora. This is literally like Katra getting her hands like getting blood under her fingers, right? Yes. Like, yes. This getting is... blood on her hands. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, the dialogue they start to have when Adora says it's not over and Catra says, of course, it's not over. And, you know, it won't be over. And it's really dark. It won't be over until darkness covers Etheria forever. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she says the one thing that's going to guarantee that Adora's going to get up and keep fighting, which is, and it won't be over until your friends see you fail. And I can't wait to see the looks on their faces when they yep. see that you weren't strong enough to save them. Yeah. Which, again, is just playing on Adora's existing feelings that she's responsible for everything especially right after um the 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 next attack after that is uh after you know when catra does the back thing when adora like reaches back and slams catra against the wall yeah that's brutal also yeah so that's fucking brutal also that's if you see the screenshot of the both of them out of uh you know out of breath Mm -hmm. like catra draped over adora it's out of context it's obscene but um <laughs> it's incredibly obscene but um she catra then uh you know cradles adora's face and scrapes her face so she, not only yeah. did she attack her back she then went and, and like literally like scratched her face yeah and the way she cradles it first yeah exactly yeah. And, and this is such a callback to what you know both catra and adora understand as that kind of like toxic support that they got from shadow weaver shadow weaver yep. is always doing the uh, the face hold of yeah, you know of I, of of creepy manipulation. Yeah, exactly. the The face touching of evil tenderness is how I d- yes. describe it. Because oh, I love that because it happens again, right? It like yes. happens again. Yes. Very, but but in this case, it's actually you know it starts and then we have the physical manifestation of it, which is a physical attack on the face. Later, then we have the you know the the one that shadow we're most familiar with with Shadow Weaver, which is the psychological. Uh, and then goes into more of Catra's psychological attacks, right? Mm-hmm. Of the, you're too weak to save them. Yeah. So that, of course, makes her get up and fight harder. Yep. She's she's incensed. And so eventually she gets the best of Catra. And she thinks she thinks it's all over now because she just beat Catra at hand-to-hand combat. So the whole battle must be over now, right? Catra right. lost. Right, right, exactly. Well, Catra's Catra's lost. Done. It's over. So, that's over. It's like, okay, Adora, we get it. You she know? forgot there's like an entire war type battle going on right next she, to them. She's always going to forget there's an entire war type battle going on anywhere if Catra's in the same room. So then we see more stuff that's not just focused on the two of them. We see the force field around the moonstone start to break and then it breaks completely. Things look very dire. Glimmer tries to go help Angela. But Scorpy gets in her way. And at this point, I have a note that says, P.S. Do you ever get caught up during these kinds of big fight scenes? Just imagining the voice actors sitting in their sound studio making all of these 
like physical exertion sounds while sitting still in a chair, you know, like, oh, Ah, they go ooh. in like one day and they're like, what are you going to do? Well, we got to make the battle noises. Okay. Can yeah. we hear, can we hear, uh, can we hear like, you know, punch in the gut grunt again? Which yeah. one? One, two or four? Let's do four again. Like, <laughs> you know. so many grunting sounds. And so you many know, different s- kinds yeah. of grunting sounds. Yeah. And the sound editor is like, you know, obviously goes to the director and says, are we going to use one or four? Ugh. One or four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, they had a good time when they did this. They definitely did. Yeah. And then eventually Shira is caught and she still hasn't found her shield slash sword. But good thing Bo finds it. And then we see the bots overtake Angie, which she is a total badass. Oh, yeah. Even after the force field goes down, she keeps that moonstone going for quite a while. And she takes out some bots with one hand. Dude, Angie's a badass. Um, but eventually she is overtaken and the moonstone goes dark. And then we flip real quick back to the fright zone. We see the black garnet gets stronger. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And then Catra says, now it's over. This is one of my gayest moments. What specifically? Adora on her knees in the mud, restrained by four different like laser lassos. <laughs> and... <laughs> Catcher kneels down, lifts her hand, does the uh, the face touching of evil tenderness, and then mm. says, now it's over. Oh, fuck. And yeah. I'm like, yo, okay. That's some Horde Queen's energy right there. Right? I literally, yeah, it is. I literally, the, the, the transcript says, Adora is still tied up and on her knees. And I'm like, that's gay. <laughs> yeah. That's gay. Yeah. That, I that mean, is... if you have it like written like that in front of you. Yeah. The transcript, you know, just saying what the physical situation is. Yes. If you have that screenshot out of context in front knees. of you. Yes. You're, you're like, gay. It's like, yo, these, this shit's, these bitches are gay. Good for them. These bitches good are gay. That's a good one. Good for them. And meanwhile... Glimmer is fighting back against Scorpia and then Swiftwind rescues her so she can go off to help Angela. And then Bo goes to help Adora together with Spinatasa. And Natasa makes a net around them so they can recoup for a hot sec. Boom oh, and nuts. Bo also has the shield. Yes, boom nets. Boom nets. Bo has the shield when he runs up. So now he gives her back the shield and, you know, he's putting everything on her in this moment, even though they keep saying that it's not all on her. He's like, oh, you know. Don't give up. We can still fix this, right? But, you know, he's saying you. Yeah. He says we, but he means you. But he means you. Yeah. Please tell me and we can fix this. And we have yes. we have our lowest moment for dear, dear Bright Moon. Yeah. I am sorry. And Bo says, it's okay. I really like the shot of Shira's downcast face in the reflection mm-hmm. from the shield. Rather than just seeing her face because it, you know, the fact that it's in a reflection is like she can't face herself even. Yes. You know, her downcast face in the reflective surface. Yes. So that's a nice shot. But once Bo says it's okay, is is it over? No. Bright Moon calls for aid and the Alliance will answer. Yeah. But before that happens, it's really great that they all hug. Yeah. 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 After she says, she says, you know, I'm sorry, basically meaning I can't do it. And Bo's yep. like, it's okay. And then they all hug each other. And it's then like, they wow, hug. that's that's a really noble way to go when you're about to be destroyed or so you think. I know. And then just as we think things could not get any worse, 
They don't. Because yes. we get some waterbenders up in this bitch. We get some water molecules floating around in the air. And we're like, what the fuck? For a moment, everybody's confused. Enter Mermista on a fucking tsunami. Yeah. With Seahawk and his goddamn dumbass boat. (laughs) (laughs) Adventure! Don't do that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That was was very funny. I love these two. It's a great... Yeah, I mean, anytime Mermista and Seahawk show up, it's going to be good times. It's always going to be a good time. I love those chaos bisexuals so So much. So Mermista knocks the fuck out of the horde in one big sea swoop as she enters. And then they all start to gather themselves and try to get up. But where are all these damn vines and flower petals coming from? Oh, fuck. We got some plant benders up in this bitch. Here comes Perfume and the War Chimes. Yep. And she comes in like she's surfing on this giant vine. Yep. And she's like, I saw the distress beacon. Are you all okay? And of course, like, no, they're not, dude. But like Perfume is like wrecking, like wrecking shit. Yeah. Now that you're here. So now we have a little lineup shot of all the new Rebel players that are now ready to go. Mm-hmm. Got Spinnerella, Natasha, Bo, Shira, Perfuma, Mermista, Seahawk. And... Feeling better about things. Oh, shit. But it looks like Catra jumps in to a tank oh, no. and shoots at the Moonstone. Oh, fuck. It's oh, about no. to fall over. What is who, it? Who happen? might save us? Why? Huh? Ice bending. Ahoy. Yes. And now we have more surfing. We have Perfuma surfing on vines. We have, well, I guess a boat doesn't technically surf on the ocean, but on that giant tsunami, it was kind of like that boat was surfing on the ocean. And then Frosta surfs in on her ice wave. Yeah, and Frosta comes in. Frosta Frosta joins the alliance. Everybody has a radical entrance, basically. Yeah, I like how Frosta, if folks are uh, familiar with... um, X-Men comics and X-Men, you know, the X-Men universe. Frosta comes in shooting ice in front of her as she slides down it, which is very similar visually to how Iceman Bobby Drake does it, who is also a queer character. So, yay. I did not know that Bobby Drake was a queer character. Bobby Drake's a queer character, yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yay, queers in comics. So now that Frost is here at just the right time, it's all going to be good. So my next note is boom for Etheria. Princesses are united. Woo woo. Woo woo. Okay, so we get all of the princesses here kicking ass. All of a sudden, shit just starts glowing. Yep. Well, Shira gives a blast of her sword mojo magic up to the moonstone. Yep. And then the moonstone blasts everything else, like, definitively. And this is the all first time- All the darkness is gone. Yeah, and this is the first time we see Shira healing. This is uh, the first time we see Shira healing stuff. That's right. Yeah, this is her first healing healing magic. With the power of friendship and togetherness. Aw. I know. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's, you know, that's what the end of this finale is. Aww. It's all the power of friendship and togetherness. Aww. So anyway, so we got that. That's all healed up. All, you know. Glimmer gets her powers back. Moonstone's looking great. Glimmer's got her powers back. Glimmer's ready to kick some fucking ass. Yes, she is. We see all the other runestones around Etheria juicing up and having this little blip of like extra extra mojo around yep. them because they're all so hypercharged and juiced up at this moment. Yeah. Except for the Black Garnet, which rejects all of the technological stuff that has been imposed upon it, shuts down, and then we have the adorable shot 
of just entrapped as little blinky blinky mask guys in the dark room. I love that. Hey, so do you think that, um, okay, so uh, uh, she rushed out out all of the, the healing magic, blah, 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 right? So the power of healing magic healed all the rune stones, right? That was, that's what we're supposed to get from Except this. the Black Garnet. But it did heal the Black Garnet because it disconnected it from, from the system that it was unnaturally connected to. That's true, but it shut down completely. It wasn't back in balance with the other runestones because it's not it's not in it balance needed a with break a, you think yeah, it's not in balance with a princess so it's the other you know oh that's right that's yeah. the only runestone that's not in balance with a princess so You're it right. just so it just it got rid of whatever was constraining it and it shut down yes thank you for tying that up for me no problem i'm glad yes. that we were able to work that one out together Yes, good workshopping. Yeah, nice. No bad ideas in brainstorming. Um, cool. So then we get everybody. Glimmer is fucking ready to kick ass. And then everybody is like supercharged and glowing. Everyone's going to kick a bunch of ass separately. Yeah, I just <sighs> wrote much kicking of ass. There's so much kicking of ass. But then we see like a power lineup and everybody starts to fucking glow. Right. And then we have our most obvious gayest moment. Agreed. Which is winning the day with a giant fucking rainbow. Yeah. A giant fucking rainbow. Uh, everybody glows a, you know, a color, except for Seahawk. Well, he's not an elemental princess. Okay. Neither is fucking Bo. Did Blow, did, did Blow glow? Did Bo glow? Yes. He did? Yes. I didn't notice that. Yes. If Bo gets to glow, then Seahawk should also get to glow. Exactly. I don't fucking understand it. Bo's chest piece glows. Mm. And then glow, Bo has like a red glow. Yeah. So like, I don't- Interesting. Does he- So like, I don't fucking get it. I Maybe there's some sort of like, like headcanon that only, Bo is actually a princess. <laughs> the only thing I can think is that it must be because he has such a close relationship with Shira. Yeah, that was what I was thinking. Or with Bright Moon or, uh, you know- yeah. Or, I don't know. I don't know. There's yeah. something. I'm not going to overthink that one. Because I'm focused on the giant gay magic rainbow that is currently defeating evil. Right. I mean, that's what you're supposed to focus on, right? Like, we're not <laughs> supposed to, like, give a shit about things like world building and consistency. We're supposed well, to care about the fact that the giant gay rainbow <laughs> kicks the blonde lady's ex-girlfriend cat girlfriend's ass. And yes. it does. Like, you know. Yes, they- it does. It gives them a good something something. Yeah. They're so- certainly not dead. But they are walking away with their tails between their legs. Yes. And I did want to, so uh, I wanted to do a quick sidebar here. When I was a kid, I had the bow figure um, mm-hmm. and he was a white dude with red hair and a mustache. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, there was a little that. button. Yes. Yeah, so there was a little button on the back of the, of the bow figure that if you pushed it, it looked like the heart in his chest was like beating, was like in and out. It was like there was a button on it. Yeah. So that's the kind of this reminded me of like, okay. Aww. Like Bo's... He's Bo, the heart. He's the heart. Yeah. He's the better Xander. He's the better Xander. Exactly. So much better. Um, and ND bluntly said in an interview uh, that when uh, they were talking to um, a DreamWorks executive about what the meaning of the ga- the rainbow was defeating the evil, ND explicitly said that the rainbow was destroying the horde was explicitly the gay agenda. So... Wow. I can't believe they got away with it even after explicitly saying that. Yep. Yep. So I feel like awesome. specifically because the developer and creator of this show said that this was the gay agenda. Oh, yeah. This is the gayest moment. Absolutely. 
Yeah. If the creator says it, it's fucking canon. Yeah. If the Especially if they the- say it to the executives and the executives let it happen. Yeah, exactly. And if they say it's the gay, I think that's the gayest moment. Literally yes. spreading the gay agenda and defeating yes. evil with the gay agenda. Yes is yes. the gayest moment. Oh, of course. Of course it is. Yeah. Even though we had some very juicy Catradora stuff. Some really good gay the moments. The giant magic gay rainbow gay agenda defeating evil cannot be beaten. I don't really think that there's anything gayer than that. I think no. actually saving the universe with queer love might be gayer than that. I think it is. But they're, you know, they're cousins. <laughs> they're not distant relatives. Yeah. They're close. Yeah. So then we have some happy victory banter and my favorite from that is probably the most obvious one, is Frost is, Frost is lying literally, yeah, we did things together. <laughs> Thanks, Frost. Mine is Mermista saying, that's how it's done in the sea, which is Mermista's, yeah. which if I'm not yelling, boom, nets, that's the other thing that I'm yelling. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. No, that's fantastic. I love Mermista energy. I love Mermista energy. thought it was so hilarious. Got this little kid saying, yeah, we did things together. It's almost... <laughs> Like, similar to, like, if you're in a battle, it's a cartoon battle, and one of the people is saying, clash, wham, <laughs> whip, pow, <laughs> whip, whip, <laughs> yes. Who says yes. whip? <laughs> whip. <laughs> I'm not going to say whip while I use the whip. Whip. Nobody does that. <laughs> whip. Yes. And so, after all of the victory banter, Angela flies down from the moonstone and hugs the best friend squad, Shira transforms back into herself adora with tears of joy in her eyes and they did it because she feels included and wanted and loved and she's so happy that everybody's alive which you know fucking reasonable and now we go to the fright zone meanwhile in the fright zone so hordak is like i see your experiment has failed and entrapped is like Oh, no, bitch. Only Au contraire, a, only Mon Evil Frere. Mon Evil Frere. <laughs> um, Ed was like, the experiment was success. I know more than ever. This is just the beginning. And Catra's mm-hmm. like, look, I got us closer to conquering Bright Moon and the Whispering Woods are still fucked. Yep. Etheria is ours for the taking. Yep. And so- yeah, I love that Hordak tries to frame what just happened as a failure and blame it on them. Like, oh, well, you failed. Your thing was a failure. And they just don't accept it. Yeah. And they re- reframe it for him. Yep. And he has to accept it. Yep. And he does. And he does. And not only does he frame uh, accept it, but he gives Catra a promotion. Oh, yes. Catra is Hordak's new first officer. Yeah. Woo. Catra is Riker. Only way better because Riker's gross. Uh, <laughs> he's like a misogynist but like anyway yeah yeah there was always a little something there was creepy a little, creep. but anyway dude but lucky for us we have catra yeah we have we have first officer catra yep hot she's on her way up what Cat- will next season bring who knows i think and here's here's what uh i am positing as somebody who has never seen the entire series six times mm. Mm. more gay stuff. I think the odds are strong. I think the odds are strong. I the think... odds are in your favor. Yeah, I think um, I think uh, more more Catradora. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more Glimmer being a badass. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more Sweet Baby Scorpia. Definitely. Um, I think more... Um... Just more of everybody. Yeah, I think so. I think and more... maybe some new gays. Maybe some new gays. Who knows? Ah! 
one thing I know that you and I will have before next season is our next episode. We are going to have an awesome first part of what will hopefully be uh, a series of conversations on S-pop and race. Yes, we're very excited about that. With a very, very special guest who is awesome and you will all adore her the way we do. And we're going to get into some, some deep stuff on how race plays out in this show in all different kinds of ways. So stay tuned because you're going to get a lot more interesting stuff and then some more gay screaming and then some gay screaming about that too. Yes, 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 yes. But before we go there, Jenny. Yes, Meth. I have two questions. Oh my goodness. I hope I'm prepared. One, what did we learn today from the Battle of Bright Moon? And two, what did we learn about the entire first season? Oh my God. That's, those are two good questions. I ask yes, really good questions. Are, that's, that's why I do what I do. Those are two good questions, Meph. I think we learned today in the Battle of Bright Moon that we are going to win in the end. Yeah. We definitely learned that. Yeah. Uh, we learned that we're going to win in the end because friendship. Yeah. Not because we are all individually awesome, even though we are all individually awesome. We're yeah. going to win in the end because friendship. Because friendship. Yes. Yeah. It's important. I agree. And what did we learn overall from this whole season? Wow. Well, we learned that Catra and Adora are some messy, messy gays. They are some messy kids. <laughs> um, and we learned that they both have a fuck ton of potential. They really do. That we are do. only just beginning to scratch the surface of. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm sure we learned a lot of other things, but those are my primary takeaways. So I think the big thing that I learned this season, and I think this is probably a big thing that's going to carry me through the entire series, both of She-Ra mm-hmm. and the Princesses of Power, and Hey Adora, a queer She-Ra podcast. Ooh, yes. Catra in a suit. Ha <laughs> ha. You didn't learn that today, though. No, no, that's the series. That's oh, that's what, what learned. you learned from the whole series. That's what I've learned from, yes. a, from season one, is Catra yes. in a suit. Yes, yeah. fair. Yeah, I think it's really important to know. Excellent point, as always. Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to join us in narrowly averting the apocalypse, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast, or you can email us at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon! We have a Patreon! We have a motherfucking Patreon! Oh my god! So excited. It's got some really cool stuff on it. It's got some really cool shit. Become a member of the Rebellion and get fantastic perks like bonus episodes, our very own private Facebook group and Discord server, exclusive playlists, Patreon-only hangouts, and so much more. It's going to be delicious. It's going to be delicious. You can find the link for our Patreon, as well as the link to this week's Spotify playlist, The Battle of Bright Moon, in our show notes or at heyadora.gay. That's That's right. right. Gay. Oh, yeah. We never get sick of that one. We never get sick of that one. And remember, queer joy is radical. And queer love saves the universe. Ow! Ow! Jenny, we season finished one. season 10. Season, season one. Ow! We love you guys.